Wonderful. Um, quick note before I get started. Um, gospel community, like, is the heartbeat of our church. Um, if you have not had any experience with the gospel community, this new one that's getting started, basically, uh, the existing ones continue on. We're making space for new people to journey together. Um, these intro experiences are, uh, I don't want to over pump this or anything, but genuinely they're life changing. And not because of us as a church and our strategies and we've somehow like figured it out how to make disciples and change lives. No, there's somebody else who has. And when we intentionally give ourselves over to living life his way, man, oh man the things that we get to experience, the ways that we get to encounter God through each other, guys, is like such a privilege. So I still have to say, I cannot encourage you enough. If you are not currently connected to a gospel community, go on the website, sign up. There is gonna be limited space. Um, we are probably just gonna get one going this season. We usually do these once or twice a year, get a new one going. And so I wanna put that before you, make the appeal um, it's amazing. One of the reasons why the gathering is so light this morning is because a handful of our gospel communities, multiple gospel communities are like away on vacation, getting rest and being together. It's a wonderful, beautiful thing. Okay. And we celebrate that. So I'm going to start my timer for real now. So I don't go too long. Um, another kind of quick thing before I jump into the scriptures this morning, I want to ask you to pray for something like a genuine prayer request um, how many of you guys are familiar with what's happening in South Africa right now? Handful of you. The reason I bring that up, there's obviously, you know, so many nations around the world, but uh, we have a, a unique connection relationally to South Africa and specifically the region around Durban, which is a, one of the major cities in South Africa. Uh, one of our family of churches is in Durban, Harbor City. Uh, we have, we're connected with other churches in, in the area. Um, West Point, we love them dearly. We travel typically, pre-COVID, we would go there at least once, maybe twice a year. Um, so deep relationships with the people in and around Durban. And for those of you guys that aren't familiar with what's going on, the civil unrest around Durban right now is, is just, it's, it's really bad, okay? The, like, the rioting and the looting and the destruction is, guys, it's so so devastating to the people of the region. Um, I was FaceTiming with a friend who leads a church in Durban this week, and he was literally describing to me, he's like, he's like, and he has, he, he, they use brew, he's like bro, and so that brew, like it's crazy. Like he's describing to me what he's seeing. And frankly, like his young kids are seeing, like where he lives in his neighborhood, he can kind of see down and he sees like distribution centers and shopping malls and shopping centers and grocery stores and just exploding. Just like the, he sent me videos of places I've been several times that are, they're destroyed. It's like a war. He literally described it like it's like a war zone. And as he's describing this to me over the FaceTime call, he's like, do you hear that? I'm like, yes. And there's this helicopter flying above head because all it's just bonkers there right now, guys. Like I said, buildings, shopping centers being burned to the ground. There's very little food in the province. There's very little access to fuel. They call it petrol, like, which obviously creates a lot of different challenges. Um, as the people that we're closest with, the last conversation, they do have food. Like my buddy Brian, he was able to just go find eggs at a farm nearby. Um, but I mean, people are guarding their homes with weapons. They are, it's like, it's, it's full on like out of a movie. It's really, really devastating. It's really, really awful. Um, 
I don't recommend you view the videos and the photos online, but if you're looking for some perspective, it's really, really helpful to gain perspective on what's happening there. Um, and frankly, the privileges that we just get to experience all the while. They're currently trying and praying just for access to fuel so that they can continue to drive around and distribute food to their friends and neighbors and their churches and stuff, and just people that in need. The poverty in, in, in South Africa is is unimaginable, guys. There's, there's really, really established wealthy um, neighborhoods, and then there's what's called townships, which is, I mean, literally you're living in, in shanty towns. It's, it's really, really sad and awful. So you can imagine the unrest that goes with the haves and the have-nots and all the different things. I don't have a ton of time to get into it right now. Um, but last I heard, things have seemed to slow down a little bit. When I say things like the destruction and the riots and the looting and, and those kinds of things, that slowed down a bit. But the devastation, guys, is like massive. I've spoken to people who are like, I don't think we're ever going to recover from this. Um, ever is a strong language, but again, from their vantage point in a generation, that's plausible that people would pass away before things ever get, they ever recover from that. So I just want to like ask you to please, please pray. Um, the, uh, I will say this, there, it, some of it's related to the government there of kind of why things are breaking out the way that they are. The only hope for the world is not a better earthly government. The only hope for the world is a heavenly government, okay? The world needs King Jesus. South Africa needs King Jesus, and so do we. We desperately need him. And so I just kind of want to pause because I love them, and I know many of you love them. You've come on trips with us to go there. I just want to pause and just pray over their nation, pray over those churches. Will you guys join me in that before I jump in? Thank you. Uh, Father, we recognize your sovereign grace your intervening love, that even though uh, sin has been released into the world and, um, man, it is running rampant and there is devastation and there is pain and there is suffering, um, you have a track record of graciously intervening time and time again. And we know this because we look to the cross. You ultimately defeating sin, Satan, and death once and for all and now ushering in your kingdom, the fullness of your way, your rule, your reign. And that climaxes at your second coming, Jesus, when all things will be made new and brokenness and sin and suffering will be no more. But until then, Lord, we look to you and we just cry out on behalf of our brothers and sisters and say, would you intervene? Would you, um, would you bless the people of the nation of South Africa? Would you bless our, friend, our brothers and sisters in Durban? Harbor City, West Point specifically, would you protect them? And would you, would you kind of even um, help us to see the ways that you would desire for us to support them, not just through prayers, but practically? And so, Lord, we trust you. We ask for your protection, for your provision, for the fuel they need to distribute food, food for the food that they need to distribute. Um, would you meet their needs? And Lord, would you take kind of a really terrible, awful situation and, and catalyze the church to be a beacon of hope, a light in the world um, that would bring glory to your name, that would bring freedom and security and peace in a situation where people feel anything but those things. So we love you, we trust you, and we pray on behalf of our brothers and sisters. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Okay, thank you guys for doing that with me. Go ahead and grab your Bible. We're gonna jump in today. 
uh, week number 61 in our series, Jesus Is, where we've been exploring through the Gospel of John. Uh, the Apostle John, arguably Jesus' closest friend in life, wrote down this eyewitness account of the ministry of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. It is probably my favorite book of the Bible. We've been examining this, like I said, for 61 weeks now. And the whole point is we want to learn as much as we can about Jesus. He's the center of all things. He's the center of creation. He's the point of life. We want to learn as much as we can about him. John wrote this so that the reader would believe. And his whole thing is because what we believe, it determines how we behave. And so we want to learn as much as we can about who Jesus is, what he's done, what that means for us as people. Um, so we're going to finish up John chapter 19 this morning. Before we jump in, has anybody ever been snorkeling? Raise your hand. Hi, I want to be able to see you, get a good pulse. Okay, about half the room. Okay, so snorkeling is amazing. Uh, every time I go to a place where there's a, the option of snorkeling, I want to participate because I don't know what it is. There's something really soothing about it. There's something really adventurous about it. There's something just really cool about snorkeling. Now, recently, I got to um, go to Cabo with my wife. We celebrated our anniversary, so we flew down to Cabo for a few days of just like celebrating what God has done, his faithfulness in our marriage, the redemption that's taken place in our marriage, like all the amazing things, the way God's changed us, and just being intentional about that. And I saw something that was fairly remarkable to me. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever seen anything like this, but we're on the beach, and where the shore is breaking, so like the waves are breaking, you can literally see, so about as far away as from I am to this music stand, you can see in the water that's, I don't know, maybe a foot and a half deep, you can see a school of fish. Like typically you'd have to put the snorkel on to see something like that. It is right there. I mean, I'm thinking like the waves are crashing, these things are gonna get beached, like the fish are gonna get thrown up onto the beach. It was amazing. And it got me thinking, you know, sometimes you get to see the beauty right in front of your face. It's apparent. It's right there, right? It's obvious. Other times you need the snorkel. You need to be able to kind of put your head underneath below the surface to see the beauty. When you poke your head under the water, you get to see some really beautiful things. That's why I like to snorkel. Why do I tell you that story? Why do I use that illustration? Because this morning I want us to put a snorkel on when we read the Bible. Okay, I want us to kind of look below the surface in this passage to see something that I believe is absolutely beautiful. It ministered to my heart this week in a really, really cool way. That's what we're going to do in today's passage. On the surface of today's passage, what it looks like is that a couple men, they bury Jesus' dead body. That's the surface. But below the surface... If we put the snorkel on below the surface, there is beauty, friends. And I would argue it's probably not what you expect, okay? So I want to pray again just for our time. So if you would join me in prayer. Uh, Father, we come to you again. Holy Spirit, I ask you to fill my mouth, my mind, my heart right now. Um, I really want to honor these precious men and women, my friends, my family, I don't want to do anything that gets in the way of what you want to accomplish this morning. Uh, I really want you to minister to us, Spirit of God, through your word. Point us to Jesus. Help us to see things more clearly. Help us to see maybe the beauty below the surface and, and let it challenge us a little bit. And hopefully, hopefully, Lord, 
you'll comfort us and lead us into something new this morning as individuals and as a community. So I love you, grateful for your goodness, and I pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so we're going to start here in verse 31. Stay with me, okay? I know, it's, I know it's stuffy in here. Verse 31, I want to bring you up to speed before we jump in, okay? Jesus has been crucified at this point, all right? He's been nailed to the cross. He is on the cross at this point, and he's just actually uttered his last words. If you were with us last week, do you remember what they were, his last words? There we go. It's so funny. You guys whisper, talk to me. Let's engage together, okay? It is finished. Jesus' last words. And then it says, he gave up his spirit. So at this point, we're about to jump in in verse 31 in chapter 19. At this point, Jesus, the Messiah, is dead. Okay? Verse 31. Since it was the preparation day, the Jews did not want the bodies to remain on the cross on the Sabbath. Bodies, remember, there was, there was three people, Jesus and two criminals. So they didn't want the bodies to remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a special day. They requested that Pilate, that's the Roman governor, right, the authority in charge, they requested that Pilate have the men's legs broken and that their bodies be taken away. Pause. Preparation day, what's he talking about? Um, the preparation day would have been Friday, okay? Now, why is it preparation day? What are they preparing for? They're preparing for the next day, Saturday, which was Sabbath. It's the day of rest, so there's no work to be done. There's no striving to be done. It's a day set aside to rest and enjoy God and his goodness and his provision and his love, okay? Notice, Friday was a preparation day. This is a whole nother sermon, but I believe it's an important, poignant thing for our, our church. I think one of the reasons why the Western church has such a difficult time Sabbathing is because it takes preparation. <laughs> it's not like you just don't just cruise into it. You gotta, get things, you gotta get things ready so that you can give your heart, body, mind, and soul over to resting in Jesus. When I say rest, I'm not just talking about sitting on a hammock. I'm talking about filling your soul with beauty, with goodness. You with me? So... Preparation day, that's the Friday, preparing for the Sabbath on Saturday, okay? Now, it also says that that Sabbath was a special day. Why was it special? It was special because it was the Sabbath of Passover week, okay? So this week where Jesus dies, it's actually the Jewish holiday, Passover. We'll get more into that in just a second, but I'll give you, kind of give you a 30,000-foot view. Big Jewish holiday, big deal to the Jews, Okay, they're celebrating the Passover. The Passover was the story. If you remember Moses parting the Red Sea, right? He, 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 he leads the people out of slavery in Egypt. God uses Moses, I should say, to lead the people out of slavery in Egypt. And the reason it's called Passover is because one of the catalytic moments of that is the, the final plague. Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, would not let the people go. So God sends the, the angel of death to, 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 to take the life of the firstborn in Egypt. And he uses, he tells the Jews, he says, he says, slaughter a lamb and use the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. And that will, that will guard your house from the angel of death. And the angel of death will pass over your house. So again, God protecting his people and then providing a way for them out of slavery, out of bondage in Egypt. Okay. So that is Passover. That, so the Sabbath of that week is the, the special Sabbath of Passover week, which is the holiday, which is the celebration of God's goodness, right? Now notice too, it talks about breaking the men's legs. What's going on there? Three men, two criminals, and Jesus, right? 
the reason why they would break their legs was to facilitate a quick death. I know that sounds morbid, but it's true. The whole point of the cross is you're nailed at your feet, you're nailed at your hands, and you don't die from the nails. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. You don't perish from the nails, you perish typically from asphyxiation. You can't breathe. And so what would happen is they would, people on the cross, they would, they would push up on the nail, it's so gross, so that they could breathe, and they'd, and they'd come back down. They'd break their legs so that your arms are only going to last so long, you're going to perish quicker, quicker, okay? So to prevent the person from prolonging their life is essentially why they would break the legs. Quick death. Why? The Jews, they didn't want the dead bodies still hanging on the cross during this special Passover Sabbath on the next day. You with me in this? I just want you to see the logic of what we're reading here, because if not, we're going to gloss over it. Okay, verse 32, let's keep reading. So the soldiers, the Roman soldiers, came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other man who had been crucified with him. The him there's Jesus, verse 33. When they came to Jesus, they did not break his legs since they saw that he was already dead. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and at once blood and water came out. Pause again. So they break the legs of these two criminals, speeds up their death, right? They go to Jesus. They see that Jesus is already dead and they did not break his legs. What they did instead was they pierced his side with the spear. Okay, I want you to get this picture. They pierced the side with a spear. Why? They did that to verify that he was in fact dead. Let me read you a quote from a Bible scholar. It says this, quote, Normally, of course, the body of a dead man will not bleed. It is suggested that what happened was that Jesus' experiences, final few days of his life, that Jesus' experiences, physical and emotional, were so terrible that his heart was ruptured. When that happened, the blood of the heart mingled with the fluid of the pericardium, which surrounds the heart. The spear of the soldier pierced the pericardium and the mingled fluid and blood came forth. Listen to this. It would be a poignant thing to believe that Jesus, in the literal sense of the term, died of a broken heart. End quote. John continues. Let's, let's read verse 35. He who saw this has testified so that you also may believe. Again, John is, I saw this, I'm testifying, I'm testifying because I want you to believe. His testimony is true and he knows he is telling the truth. Okay, obviously John's referencing himself here. That he didn't just like hear about this, that he wasn't checked out, he saw it with his own eyes. He's an eyewitness, okay? And what is he doing here? So far in our passage, John is, he is drawing special attention to the fact that Jesus actually died. Like he actually lost his life. God in the flesh actually died. He's adamant about it. Why? Why would he be so adamant? Because if he wasn't dead, there wasn't a resurrection. And if there wasn't a resurrection, why are we even here this morning? So John's adamant. God in the flesh actually died. I saw it with my own eyes. I'm testifying it's true. I watched the spear go in. I watched the blood and the water come out. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 36. For these things happen so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. That's a prophecy. Verse 37. Also, another scripture says, here comes another prophecy from the Old Testament. They will look at the one they pierced. 
If you've been with us the last few weeks in this series, we've been highlighting all these different prophecies from the Old Testament that are coming true in this moment at, the, at the, the, like the last 24 hours of Jesus' life. It's remarkable, okay? One of, the, uh, one of the prophecies here is that not one of his bones will be broken. The, the original reader who read this would have known exactly where John was going with this. Remember we talked about Passover and that lamb, you know, you sprinkle the, the doorpost with the blood of the lamb and the angel of death passes over that household protection of God piece. The Jews who were reading this would have known exactly what John was doing here. He's paralleling Jesus to that lamb because one of the instructions on how to prepare that lamb was to make sure that none of its bones were broken. So there would be like, you know, you ever like watch a movie and there's this like thing that you don't see and then it gets revealed and you get goosebumps off the, you know, on the back of your neck. You're like, oh, wow, that was so, that's crazy. The reader would have got that. Like, oh, Jesus is, he is the Passover lamb. Like, wow, that's what's happening right here, okay? Verse 38, let's keep going. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, if you have your Bible, underline Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because of his fear of the Jews, underline that too, secretly a disciple of Jesus because of his fear of the Jews, asked Pilate, again, the governor, that he might remove Jesus's body. Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took his body away, verse 39. Nicodemus who had previously come to him, him there is Jesus, at night. So if you guys remember from John 3, he previously had come to Jesus at night, also came, bringing a mixture of about 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes. Pause again. These two men, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, right? They removed Jesus's body from the cross. Can you picture that for just a moment? all that Jesus went through and these two men, in, in a public display, these two men removed Jesus's dead body from the cross. Let's keep going. Verse 40. They took Jesus's body and wrapped it in linen cloths with the, fra with the fragrant spices according to the burial custom of the Jews. There was a garden in the place where he was crucified. A new tomb was in the garden. No one had yet been placed in it. They placed Jesus there because of the Jewish day of preparation and since the tomb was nearby. That's our passage. And listen, there's obvious beauty to see here. Like on the surface, there's, when we look on the surface, there's wonderful, beautiful things in this passage, right? You have, you have Jesus, the Messiah, dying for the sins of the world, right? Like he's the true and better Passover lamb. It's amazing. You have, again, more prophecy being fulfilled and very specific stuff here, written generations before the time of Jesus coming to fulfillment. I mean, amazing things. There's, there's beauty on the surface here. I wanna poke our, I wanna put our snorkel on. I wanna poke our heads below the surface to see something less obvious, something a little bit deeper, deeper. and it involves those two men. Not the criminals that died with Jesus next to Jesus on the cross. It involves the two men who removed Jesus' dead body from the cross. Do you remember who they were? Shout them out to me if you do. Yes, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. I want to talk about these two dudes for the rest of my time, okay? Joseph of Arimathea, who was he? Who was this guy, okay? It tells us in this passage he was a secret disciple of Jesus. 
Now, this same kind of narrative shows up in some of the other gospels. The other gospel accounts tell us that Joseph of Arimathea was a wealthy member of the Sanhedrin. Okay, he was so wealthy, it's actually his tomb that they placed Jesus in. So he's wealthy enough to provide this brand new tomb. He's a wealthy member of the Sanhedrin. Do you know what the Sanhedrin was? The Sanhedrin was the supreme judicial council of the Jews. Okay, so in other words, it was their highest court, the supreme court, if you will, of the Jews. All right, so Joseph of Arimathea, wealthy member of the Sanhedrin, secret disciple of Jesus. He provided the tomb that Jesus was placed in. The next guy, Nicodemus, okay? I mentioned it earlier, but he's a familiar character from John chapter three. Amazing story, amazing chapter of scripture, right? If you remember it, he comes to Jesus in the secret of the night. Doesn't mean within, in, in, in daylight because people could see, right? Comes to him at night and he acknowledged, he's like, there's something about Jesus. Turn me down just a little bit. I'm kind of loud. <clears throat> There's something about Jesus. He acknowledged that, he goes, Jesus, you're definitely, a, you're a teacher sent from God because you couldn't have performed all these miracles if, if God wasn't with you. And then if you remember Jesus, he, he famously tells Nicodemus, he goes, Nicodemus, a person cannot enter the kingdom of God <clears throat> unless they are born again. And Nicodemus's mind explodes and he doesn't understand. He's confused. And he's like, what do you mean born again? Like, how does an old person, how are, how are they born again? Like, how do they have to enter their mother's womb a second time? Like, he's just totally not getting it. If you remember the correct. And then Jesus tells, the famous John three sixteen, right? You know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him won't perish, but will have everlasting eternal life. Like, that's, that's Jesus speaking to Nicodemus. So this, 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 this famous kind of interaction from John 3, right? That's Nicodemus, same guy. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. We know that. We also know that he was a member of the Sanhedrin. So Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, they have two things in common. Did you catch what they were? Secretly disciples of Jesus. Secretly disciples of Jesus, and both of them members of the Sanhedrin. Are you with me? Okay. Here's where we're going to go deeper. If you remember the story, the night before Jesus' crucifixion, right, he's arrested, right, by the Jewish, Jewish authorities. He's brought on trial, an illegal trial, right, that violated their own customs, their own Jewish customs. He's brought on trial before whom? The Sanhedrin, Okay. So, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, members of the Sanhedrin, they were either absent at the trial and not present to defend Jesus, or they were there. And they were silent through it all. So these two men, they kept their discipleship to Jesus secret because they were afraid. I think we would all agree, fear of man can have devastating consequences. So, one moment, these two men are secret disciples, or they're secret disciples of Jesus, one moment, 
And then less than 24 hours later, hear me, they are publicly aligning themselves with Jesus in a very dramatic way, okay? They take Jesus's body down from the cross and prepare it for burial. That's something only really, really close people to you do, okay? And they didn't do it at night. They did, the, the, where, the area where, Je- Calvary, the area where Jesus was crucified was like a billboard going into a major city. We talked about this last week, I think, or the week before. A very public area. So these guys, secret disciples of Jesus, 24 hours later, they are publicly aligning themselves with Jesus in a dramatic way. Everyone would have seen this. The Jews would have seen this. The fellow guys in the Sanhedrin who weren't hip to Jesus did not like him. The Romans would have seen this and other disciples of Jesus would have seen this. And hear me, they were not forced to do it. They requested to do it. In less than 24 hours, their discipleship went from private to public. What happened? Something changed these men dramatically, and that something was the death of Jesus Christ. Another quote for you from a Bible scholar says this, quote, the death of Jesus had done for Joseph and Nicodemus what not even his life could do. No sooner had Jesus died on the cross than Joseph forgot his fear and confronted the Roman governor with a request for the body. No sooner had Jesus died on the cross than Nicodemus was there to bring a tribute that everyone could see. The cowardice, the hesitation, the prudent concealment were gone, end quote. Hear me, these guys, they saw Jesus suffer. They saw Jesus beaten. They saw Jesus crucified. They witnessed all the prophecies fulfilled in those moments. They witnessed his death and it changed them. Their discipleship went from private to public. What about you? What about you? Is your discipleship to Jesus more private or more public? In other words, do people in and around your life, do they know you're a disciple of Jesus? And when I say disciple of Jesus, I don't mean like you go to church. We talk about this all the time. You can't go to church. The church is not an event. It's not a building. It's not a business. The church is the family of God. It's people. You can't go to it. It's a family you belong to. God is father. We're brothers and sisters. When I say disciple, what do I I mean? I mean, it means learner. Someone who's learning to enjoy Jesus, obey Jesus, and operate like Jesus in every area of life. Nothing's off limits. He's Lord, which is king, and savior. Disciple, right? Do people in and around your life know that you're a disciple of Jesus? That you're devoted to him and his ways? Let's move from... Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea away from just a second. Let's, let's, let's like personalize this. Is your discipleship to Jesus more private than public? I don't know if you know this, but there's not one place in the entire Bible where Jesus calls us to private discipleship. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Let me read out of Matthew chapter five, 
verses 14 through 16. This is the most famous sermon Jesus ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, speaking to his disciples and maybe would-be disciples and some other people too, but primarily addressing his disciples. He says this, quote, verse 14, you are the light of the world to his disciples. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. In other words, the people of God are called to be light. You with me? They're called to be light. And light has no effect if it's hidden under a basket. Okay? These lights that are on, if we, they're, they're shining brightly. It's great. That one's piercing my retinas right now. If, if we put that under a basket, it would serve very little purpose. Wouldn't you agree? Yes. <clears throat> light has no effect if it's hidden under a basket. Friends, Jesus calls us to follow him, to obey him, to enjoy him, to worship him in every area of our lives. Why? So that others will see. It's part of the, it's part of the point. It's part of the purpose, okay? So hear me. I have something to tell you. Hear me. Our discipleship is not meant to be a performance, but it is meant to be public. Our discipleship is not a performance, but it is meant to be public. And Jesus, he takes it even further than this, man. It's one of the things I love about Jesus. He offends everyone. <laughs> it's remarkable. He's God. Uh, and not just to be a jerk, but because he wants to free us from being living self-centered lives. He takes it a step further in, in, in the chapter 10 of Matthew. He says this. This one's hard. But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. Why would Jesus say that? Because the relationship is much deeper than that of a student to a teacher or a teacher to a student. Friends, the Bible uses intimate, incredibly intimate language when describing the relationship between God and his people. He says the relationship to God and his people is like a father is to his child. He says the relationship to God and his people is like a groom to his bride. Does it get more intimate than that? Imagine with me for just a second. Imagine if a bride kept her marriage a secret. That's not really a marriage, is it? Would that not be a denial of the husband? Friends, private discipleship to Jesus isn't discipleship to Jesus. It's denial of Jesus. And that's what was happening with Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. But the death of Jesus changed these men. It transformed them. They went from private disciples to public disciples. And hear me. Jesus' death has been changing men and women every day since. It's the most powerful thing in the world. It's been changing men and women ever since because, hear me, when a person sees the death of Jesus accurately, 
When the person sees the death of Jesus accurately for what it truly was, they can't help but go public with their discipleship. Why? Because Jesus went publicly, God went public with his love for them. You with me in this? John uh, chapter 15, verse 13, I'm reading out the, the New Living Translation, says this, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. 1 John 4.10, this is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, putting together a plan to, to, to sacrifice Jesus the Son, to, to publicly declare once and for all their radical love for sinners. That's me. And that's you. The crucifixion of Jesus is arguably the most famous act in the history of the world even with non-believers. Which means it was the furthest possible thing from being private. In other words, God went as public as is humanly possible with his love for the world. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, they saw it. They saw it and, it, and something changed in them. Their discipleship went from private to public, literally overnight. All right. I'll close with this. I'll call the band up, and if, if you're on the ministry team this morning, if you can maybe make your way to the side over here. I'll close with this after I take a drink of water. You guys doing okay? You with me? No? Okay. I'm going to keep talking anyway, all right? Thank you for the smiling and the nodding. I appreciate that. <clears throat> All right, real talk. Let's be real. That, that word gets thrown around a lot, but let's just genuinely be honest with ourselves for just a moment, okay? This was like a convicting week for me studying this passage. Is your discipleship, is it private or is it public? For you, is your discipleship to Jesus private or public? Here's how you know if it's private, which is dangerous, which isn't actual discipleship. It's denial. Here's how you know if it's private. If you find yourself avoiding talking about God or aligning with him because of what other people might think. Maybe in your household, potentially, maybe in your workplace, maybe with certain members of your family, maybe in certain stores you walk into, I don't know, whatever. If you find yourself avoiding talking about him or aligning with him because of what other people might think. You know your discipleship is private. You know it's private. Here's a big one. This is probably the biggest one. This could probably sum it all up. You know it's private if you talk and act differently around certain people. It's all good. You know it's private if you talk and act differently around certain people, certain environments. There's not consistency. So here's what I want to do. I'm a bit of a dreamer, unapologetically. I'm a bit of a, like, I tend to think vision, like the potential and like, will you, will you just join me? Will you imagine with me for just a second? 
don't know, maybe this is the spirit. Maybe some of you have been so jaded this last little while that you haven't given yourself over to even imagining in a long time. Like remember when you were a kid and you pretended stuff? When was the last time you pretended anything? Maybe it's more mature of a practice than we give it credit for, but imagine with me for just a second, okay? Humor me. What if there was no secret disciples in our church? What would happen? I'm intentionally leaving dead space so you can think about it. What if there was no secret disciples in our church? What would happen? Let's start small for a second. What would our gatherings look like? Like, what would our times of praising him look like? Herrick referenced the angel game earlier. I wonder if it would look anything remotely close to like the celebration that you see at a sports game when someone throws a ball. I love sports. I'm, I'm kind of being cheeky there. What would our gatherings look like? What would our times of praise look like? Here's one for you. What would the effect be on our neighborhoods? Like the neighborhood you live in. What would the effect be on this whole valley? What would happen if there was no secret disciples in our church? I'll tell you what would happen. More people would be confronted with the amazing good news of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus. More people would be confronted with God's radical love for them. light in the darkness. Jesus is, this series, right? Jesus is. Jesus is the dead Messiah. But he doesn't stay dead. He's resurrected. We know this. He's resurrected and he conquers death and sin in the process. And John, in this passage, he's adamant about Jesus' death. Adamant, Jesus' death. Because Jesus' death, it changes everyone who sees it for what it truly was. My question for you, and my question for myself this week, do you see it? Do you see it? Do you see the love of God for you? If you do, it will change you. If you do, it will transform you. It will replace fear with courage. Some of you are living in fear, man. It will replace fear with courage. It will replace anxiety with peace. It will replace greed with gratitude. You know what greed is? I want an upgrade. I want something better. And it can drive your whole life. You can spend your whole life going, how do I upgrade this? How do I upgrade that? I want more. I want this. And it's kind of like greed is like tricky. 
Because when you're greedy, you're blind to the fact that you're greedy. (laughs) You don't see it. transformed life you'll do do radical courageous things not to perform but to go public with the one who went public with his love for you that's the role that's the gig that's what he invites us into and as we do that friends we usher in more of his rule his reign his way which brings more freedom more peace more gratitude more courage, more love. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your goodness. Spirit, I want you to lead this time right now. I'm just going to listen. I feel like you have an agenda, like you're going to highlight some things that you want to accomplish in our lives. So would you speak right now? I feel like God's highlighting worry. Some of you are worried about something. Something specific. Some of you are worried about something specific and some of you are worried just like it's a, it's a baseline emotion that you're constantly in. And God wants you to hear, maybe for the first time, maybe for the thousandth time, that he went public with his love for you in the most dramatic and amazing and passionate way. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to worry about anything. I feel like for some of you, I feel like the Lord's highlighting this reality of like going public with your discipleship. I feel like he's leading some of you to start with other Christians close to you go public to them. Yes, they know that you're a Christian potentially, but do they know you? They can't love you if they don't know you. They can't support you if they don't know you. They can't truly walk with you in discipleship to Jesus if they don't know you. Maybe just maybe God's timing for rolling out another intro to gospel community is calculated. (laughs) Maybe, Maybe he's a father who's like beckoning children to come home. that God's highlighting this idea of like some of you are different around different people and those people that you're different around are missing they're missing out on the true you the redeemed you and they're missing out on God through you ways that he would he's he's inviting you to show them what he's like If not you, then who? And so, Father, I just want to pray that the reality of your death, Jesus, the reality of your plan, Father, Spirit, Son, to sacrifice Jesus on our behalf, the most public display in the history of the world of your passionate love, of your gracious love, of, of the undeserved love, I pray that that would genuinely infiltrate our heart 
every person in this room, and we'd live differently. We'd live public lives of being radically loving. We'd live public lives of being like radical servants, radical generosity. I pray that we would live in such a way that causes people around us to go, I, this doesn't make sense with me. Kind of like Nicodemus. What do you mean I have to, do I have to enter my mother's womb a second time? That doesn't make sense to me. The way, that, the way that you guys care for each other doesn't make sense to me. The way that you sacrifice doesn't make sense to me. The way that you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you doesn't make sense to me. Would you make us those kinds of people? So that, so that those who we come in contact with would come in contact with you, your spirit in us, and redemption, reconciliation would reign. Jesus, we love you, we need you. Thank you for your grace that covers us when we live privately. We, we pretend to be disciples and we do it privately. Thank you for your grace and forgiveness that covers us every single time. You're a passionate lover. You love your girl, your bride. That's all of us. Thank you, Jesus. We celebrate you. Amen. All right, friends, what we're going to do for the rest of our time, um, 15-ish minutes, 20 minutes-ish, is we're going to dedicate, set aside time to respond to God's goodness, to respond to his love, to respond for him willingly laying down his life. There's ministry, uh, the ministry team's available to you. These are trusted men and women who make themselves available to pray for you. I feel like God highlighted a couple different things. Um, the, the negative connotation in the room of like, oh, people who go get prayer, like the, oh, they're like the less mature people. We say this all the time. No, the, the most mature people are like, oh, there's a well with water. I wanna go take a drink. I'm thirsty. Receive ministry, receive prayer. They wanna love on you. They wanna be, they wanna be conduits of God to love on you. So if you, if you find yourself um, just big things, small things, it doesn't matter. If God highlighted something in your heart, he's not finished yet. Receive ministry. The band's gonna minister to us. Join in praise, offering praise to him because he's worthy and he's good and he's kind. And he gave his body and his blood and nothing can take that away. Love you guys very much. Enjoy him for the next few moments. And then Herrick will be up to pastor us and close us, okay? You guys can grab a seat. So this is the fun part where I get to close and just tell you what I've been thinking about. A movie. Saving Private Ryan. Anybody watched it? No. 20 years, 23 years ago, I think it came out. So spoilers are coming. My apologies. It's been 23 years. So there's this movie called Saving Private Ryan, and I remember watching it in theaters. I was probably 14. And did anybody watch it in theaters? I'm the only one. Oh my, what an experience. I've never been more afraid in my life. It felt like I got dropped into World War II. It felt like I was getting shot at. It felt like I was there with the soldiers. It was, felt like there were bombs going off around me. It felt like I could die at any second. It's the only way I can explain that experience of seeing that movie in theaters, in person, at 14. It was, it was not an enjoyable experience, but an important one, if that makes sense. It gave me this whole new understanding, not obviously not a full understanding, but a better understanding of what it must have been like to be a soldier in that time, this great war, world war. And I've been thinking about that. 
why. I think the heart of Jesus this morning, I think he wants to address the private disciples and the public ones. The private disciple. I think one of the things I talked about last week is how Jesus sees you. Like he sees you. He knows your life. He knows what you feel. He knows what you've been through. And in the movie Saving Private Ryan, it's a band of, I forget how many, let's say eight to ten soldiers who go off searching for this one soldier, Private Ryan, because all of his brothers died in, in war. And so they, they went to find him because it's like, if you die too, this is the end of your family line. So they wanted to prevent that from happening. So Tom Hanks' character is the captain. He grabs a bunch of dudes and they go find. This is back in the 1940s. It wasn't like today where you could just put a phone call in and find him. It was not like that. So it was like finding a needle in a haystack. And you have these, in, so they're, they're, find, they're looking for this person and they're getting shot at. They're getting bombed. They're getting snipered. They're, they're, they're living through hell, for lack of a better term. And the fear is so palpable. And I feel like the reason I bring this up is because I think some of us are just afraid. Tom already mentioned this, so this is, this is a reiteration, that Jesus sees your fear. He knows that you're experiencing getting shot at. And it might be the shots of criticism or the, it could be, it could be threats that you're, that you're facing as a disciple. It could be people threatening you. It could be people criticizing you. It could be a fear of, of losing relationships, of losing something significant for the sake of following Jesus. And maybe the reality is if you look at your life, if you're honest with yourself, you're like, I've been in the bunker. Kind of just like, I don't want to get shot. You hear like the bullets whizzing and you just kind of like found a safe space in a bunker. If that's you, I believe Jesus wants to free you from that. And so I'm going to encourage you. We have trusted people up here on the side who want to pray for you. I'll also be up here so you can come and find me. If, you, if fear has kept you from living a public life as a disciple of Jesus, fear of anything, criticism, whatever it may be, I want to encourage you to go get prayer. Up over here on the side or I'll be up here. So that's the private disciple, fear. Now the public disciple. I think Jesus sees you too. Here's what I mean. If you watch the movie, again, spoilers coming, uh, in the end they find Private Ryan. But Tom Hanks' character dies. He gives his life. He gets shot and he dies. Does anybody remember the last words that Tom Hanks shares with Private Ryan? Earn this, is what he says. Dying words. And I've used this illustration before, but I think it just works. Some of us who are here are public disciples of Jesus, but you're living as though Jesus is making you earn it. I'm going to say that again. You're a public disciple of Jesus, but you're living as though Jesus is making you earn his sacrifice. How do you know? You are like Private Ryan. Decades after experiencing this crazy sacrifice, he's still wondering, have I done enough? Have I done enough? And people may experience you as sometimes like really in your face, like I'm a disciple of Jesus. And sometimes it can be overbearing. Or sometimes if you're honest, it's like I can be kind of harsh. And then other times people experience you and you're like down. It could be Jekyll and Hyde kind of Christianity or discipleship. But in any case, the thing is you're public 
But if you're honest, you're walking around wondering, am I condemned? Or am I going to be condemned? At a deep heart level. And I just want you to know, Jesus' words for you on the cross weren't earned this. It was, what is it? It is finished. It is finished. I did it all for you. And so if you're a public disciple of Jesus, and you know in your heart of hearts, man, I live with this sort of condemnation hanging over my head. And I feel like I have to prove myself. I'm the performer. I'm the performing public disciple. Go get prayer. I think Jesus wants to minister. He loves all of us. The private, fearful disciple and the public uh, disciple that is a little on a self, lack self-awareness of what they're like or their own hearts. But what he wants for us is that we would rest on his grace. That our hearts would be like, it's finished. I can breathe and I can also move by faith towards people, towards my neighbor, towards my family, towards my spouse, towards whoever, without condemnation on the one hand, or fear, and on the other without feeling like I need to prove myself without a performance mindset. So if either of those apply to you, go get prayer. I'll be up here and there's precious men and women on the side that want to pray for you. So I'm going to go ahead and pray and we're going to close this gathering, but we'll still have ministers over here to pray for you. Father, thank you that your word to us, to the private disciple who's afraid and to the public disciple who with a tendency to perform, your word to us both is it is finished. The shots of condemnation that are being fired at us, they are not going to be deadly because Jesus already died. And his word to us is, it is finished. I did this for you. And you will rise with me from the grave to new life. And so go without fear, courageously be my disciple in the world. And for the performer, his word is, it is finished. Take a, take a nap. Take a nap, have a cold drink, be refreshed. You are not condemned. I showed you my compassion. So go and be compassionate to people. God, wherever we're at in that spectrum today, I pray that you'd meet us and free us so that we'd be the kind of people who are the light of the world in a sense. It's like you are the light of the world, but we can be light in this world. We can be salt. We can actually release a blessing in our community, in our city, in our nation, in our world. The blessing that you want to release through your followers, through disciples, weak, broken, but loved and courageous and compassionate. Lord Jesus, would you release a blessing through us as we experience your gospel and believe it. We love you. In your name, amen. All right, guys, soft close. If you want to go get prayer, there'll be ministers available. I'll be up here. Go grab your kids. It's hot. We love you. We'll see you next week.